Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome to another conversation on our Common Ground Unity Podcast. It's good to be with you. We're in a series called Healthy Church, and we're looking at what it is that both constitutes and contributes toward health in a church. Um, So we're going to continue that series in just a couple of moments with our guest today, who's a returning guest on the Common Grounds podcast. But before we get into that, I want to encourage you to support this ministry by subscribing to our Patreon channel. Um, The channel has all kinds of resources that you're going to find useful and helpful for both your own personal growth, your life together with the church. Uh, You can access additional conversations from our guests. There are video resources there, teaching resources, essays, special events, and more. We're trying to build this ministry, and individuals like me work voluntarily. We believe in this goal of unity in, in the streams of the restoration movement and beyond with other believers. Um, we want to be an answer to Jesus's prayer. So there are many like myself and others that serve out of a heart for what we're doing, but we also need to be uh, building some resources that cost money. And there are some people that we'd like to be able to put out there uh, doing some work uh, for Common Ground Unity at various venues and places. So I hope you'll consider doing that. And that's one way you can do it. You can donate to Common Ground Unity. We're a 501c3 corporation or subscribe to the Patreon channel or both. Uh, You can reach out to John Teal, our producer, if you're interested in volunteering in some way. For example, becoming an assistant video editor for Common Ground Unity. Contact John in the show notes. You can connect with him there. We have back with us today Stan Granberg. Uh, Now, Stan was with us about nine podcasts back, Uh, so you'll remember us talking about perhaps his book, Empty Church, Why People Don't Come and What to Do About It. If you've not listened to that episode, let me encourage you to go back and listen to it and to pick up a copy of Empty uh, Church. I I don't say that because Stan's here to earn a bunch off that book. It is a a really useful book that, that he put together with a heart to help congregations. And I I just think it's very timely. But let me give Stan an introduction again, because it has been a number of weeks since he was with us. Dr. Stan Granberg is a founding board member of the Heritage 21 Foundation. He has served in ministry as a youth minister, missionary to Kenya, and a Bible professor at both Lubbock Christian University and Cascade College. Stan was the founding director of Kairos Church Planting, Uh, an entity that is still operating today and out there seeking to plant churches, identifying, training, and supporting uh, new churches across the United States. 
And again, I mentioned his his most recent book is Empty Church, Why People Don't Come and What to Do About It. And you can buy that uh, on Amazon, or you can go to the Heritage 21 website and pick it up there. He's married to Gina, and uh, they live both in the Seattle metro area. Stan is both an academician, he's a, he's a scholarly researcher, but he's also a uh, active participant in the life of the church and ministry, has a lot to offer, and we're looking forward to talking about healthy churches today. Stan, welcome back. How are things up there in uh, the Northwest and the churches you're serving with? Well, thank you, Kevin. It's just a delight to be back with you and John and the others of the Common Grounds team. It's a great season up here uh, in summer, and it's great, great time to be together. Oh, that's that's terrific, Stan. Well, you know, I, I mentioned some of the ways you've uh, served the church in various capacities as a teacher, as a missionary, and in ministry. You're now uh, serving as one of the founding board members of the Heritage 21 Foundation, and many people may not be familiar with Heritage 21. You touched briefly on it um, in our previous podcast with you, but the Heritage 21 Foundation is a foundation that provides education and resources for Church of Christ congregations to assess their health and future and to evaluate the best stewardship options of their physical assets and to hopefully make good, wise decisions about the future of the congregation. You've likely seen uh, many healthy churches and many unhealthy churches and everything probably in between. Could you share what you see as indicators of an unhealthy congregation? You know, I, I think that using the word unhealthy may be kind of unfair to a lot of churches. Uh, unhealthy presupposes a condition of dysfunction of some time. And, and certainly there are unhealthy churches. There, there's no about doubt about that. It may be a dysfunction in leadership. It may be a dysfunction in family relationships that dominate the, the church. It may be, you know, maybe uh, racial dysfunctions. There's just a, a lot of different kinds of dysfunctions. But we're probably more talking about uh, churches that are in stagnation rather than dysfunction. So I want to, to make that dis distinction for, uh, yeah. for your listeners. You know, our world has changed so drastically over the, the last 25 years. Just think of things like the iPhone, the personal computers, the internet, social media. And now we have artificial intelligence with chat GPT and, and who knows else what's out there. And, and none of those things existed in the 20th century. Those are all 21st century artifacts. And then we added to it, we just poured gas on that fire with COVID. And COVID changed the way we do life. I had a conversation last night with some of the members of the new church that, that we're part of up here in Seattle. And the, the guy's a, he's a computer engineer, but he's kind of in the architecture type type realm. And uh, I just said, well, how do you like working remote? And he says, I love it. He said, but now the company's trying to get us to come back. And Monday they sent out an email that says, uh, we encourage you to come to the office two days a week. And he said, Friday, the, uh, the email was, that's mandatory. <laughs> 
And so businesses, everything around is trying to come to grips with just the new world that COVID poured on us. And so we live in a 21st century world that has really almost lost connection to the 20th century world. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing that causes stagnation is the the vast majority of congregations in America, and I'm not talking just about our fellowship, I'm talking about every stream of Christianity in America. The vast, vast majority of them were started in the 20th century. And so we have 20th century churches, and when a church starts, we talked about this a bit in the last podcast, when a church starts, it is started genetically to meet the needs and the situations of the generation that started it. And you can't get around that. That's just what happens when a church started. It has a DNA that's poured into it by the people who started it. Mm -hmm. But as you get to the third generation, to the grandchildren and into fourth generations, if churches aren't able to remake themselves, to become, to re, we call it re-envision, to re-envision themselves significantly, then they start declining down the church life cycle. And what's happening is they are losing connectivity with culture around them. That's what church stagnation is, the loss of connectivity and relevance to the culture and community around them. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I think that's more of what we're talking about is stagnated churches uh, that don't have a deep dysfunction, but that have lost that sense of connectivity to them. I, I hope that makes sense to uh, to our audience. Yeah, very much so. It does to me. Um, okay, so maybe I won't use the word healthy and unhealthy. What is an unstagnated dog? No, <laughs> I, like, I like the healthy. That, that's a, I like that. Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a good one. That's, that's good, positive. Yes. In, so in your experience, what are some of the indicators of healthy congregations? Oh, healthy churches. Uh, first of all, they, they tend to be, when you walk into them, there's a dynamism that occurs. Uh, usually there's a lot of younger families. Uh, it's kind of interesting as I've uh, observed churches through my lifetime. What gives churches that real dynamism activity is that you have a group of people that are in their family growing years. Uh, they're in their building years. And they're building careers, they're building family, they're building houses. They're just everything they turn to, they're building it. And you get five or eight or 10 of those families together that are in their building years. There is such a dynamism that occurs. And that's what we see at this new church that we're a part of, the Missio Church in Seattle. It's all people in their 30s for the most part and they're building those careers big time. But they bring that excitement into the church and then you put the kids into it and their kids, see, you know, my wife teaches the uh, the little kids Bible class. I mean, these are two year, one, two and three year olds. And they are growing up together in this context where God is in their midst. 
and you see them developing their personalities, their character, their sense of how do you treat people? How do you engage people in the world around you in this godly context? And uh, it, it inhabits us with God's presence to see all that. So I, I'm looking for that. Also, I look for churches where there are more new people than old people. And I'm not talking age. I'm talking about how long have you been in this church? You go to you know a church that's stagnated, and they've probably been there 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I, I was teaching a Bible class at a church one time and asked them, we had 25 people in it. I said, so how long have y'all all been at this church? The average average was 40 years mm. that's an old church yes where uh, the healthy churches i look to see how many people have been here less than five years how many people have been here two years and when you can find those people very readily i say that's the sign of a good healthy church and i look yeah, at their worship experience is it uh, attractive and meaningful to people who may not yet be Christians? And when I'm working with churches who are trying to renew or um, redevelop what we call it, becoming a new church, one of the things I tell them at first is don't say worship service anymore. And they look at me and they go, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, what services do people tend to go to in life? Just general people. And well, they can come up probably what's come into your mind and the mind of our listeners, funeral services and wedding services. Well, weddings, they like to go. Funerals, they don't like to go. But we don't go to services anymore. But we go to experiences. And so weddings often become now an experience. We do a destination wedding because it's an experience. We go to a concert because it's an experience. We go out to eat because it's an experience. We, we don't want to just do the same old, same old. We want experience. Mm. And so our worship needs to be an experience. And we say, well, what are we experiencing? Well, we're experiencing God. And so there's a question I ask myself, and I'll ask people in churches, tell me when God has showed up here in your worship experience. When have you known God has showed up? And oh, I tell you, if, if it's a regular occurrence, they don't have any problems answering that question. But if it's a stagnated church, they may... They made that question really kind of throws them off. I remember uh, one of the very first churches, Kairos Church Planting, helped start in Vancouver, Washington, was Renovatus. And the church planner was Kevin Woods, who was transitioning out of youth ministry into church planter. And there was uh, many times Kevin would get up to preach and he'd said, well, God has already come. He's already been here and done his work. But, you know, I've prepared some words that I'd like to say to you tonight. <laughs> that was a church where God showed up regularly and everybody knew it. So what's what's happening in the worship experience? Because even for the unbeliever, when God shows up, they know it. 
and they leave with new questions in mind. And I'd say that probably the last piece that I look for is the identity of that church in its community. Do they have a reputation in their community? I think a lot of stagnated churches, no one even knows they're there anymore. They're, they're, they're just so silent. Uh, they may drive by their buildings every day, but they, they know nothing about it. It means nothing to them. But healthy churches have a reputation in their community, and they've developed that. They've worked at it. You know, and it may be around a school. It may be around... Uh, uh, some service that they do in the community. It may be uh, that they become the, uh, uh, the the crisis center in the community. What, whatever it is, there, there is something that has become a characteristic of that church that connects and serves the community and the community knows it. So that if you go back to the question Bill Hybels used to ask some years ago, if your church disappeared today, would anyone miss it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Healthy church, if they disappeared, every people around them would go, oh, what happened to them? They did so much for us in, in this way. So mm-hmm. healthy church, younger people, young families has that dynamism, has a good portion of new people, been there two, less than five years. They have a worship experience that's vibrant and meaningful where God shows up and they have an identity that's rooted in their community. Those, those are the things I look oh. for in a healthy church. Well, I love all of those. That That's terrific. Um, so it, as you're talking with churches, what, what would you recommend churches do at each stage of their life cycles to establish and, and maintain the health and well-being of the leadership? And, and the membership in the body? Hmm. You know, to, to take it by each stage is probably a bit difficult, but, but there are some things that I think a church at any stage can look at. One of those is that connection to their neighbors. So do they actually know who their neighbors are in their neighborhood of, of their church building? You know, ch- people who become Christians today, they might drive 30 minutes to go to a concert, but they're not going to drive 15 minutes to go to a church. They're going to drive 10. Hmm. So the people, 10 minute drive around your building, somewhere in there, that's where your neighborhood is. And so do they, what's their connection to the neighborhood? Who do they know in their neighborhood? Do they know a lot of people? Do they have those points of light that they connect with on a regular basis? You know, their schools, their fire departments, their police departments, their service agencies, you know, social agencies. Do they have some of those that they know the people who run those, that they care for them? Adopting a school is such a powerful way for a church to connect to their neighborhood. And I encourage churches to to adopt either an elementary school or a junior high, a middle school. The high school, they're kind of mobile. They have a big, you know, big geographic region they cover. But an elementary school or a middle school that puts you in reach of, they're in walking distance, so to speak, 
to you and to adopt them, to become their champions, their encouragers, their promoters, their resource, uh, their source people. Uh, I just, I've seen that so, so powerfully used and does such good things. So that, that's, that's one thing. So what's the connection? Uh, continually practice the art of spiritual conversations. I think a lot of too many Christians somehow have not figured it out or have not been taught how to have a spiritual conversation. In my book, Empty Church, I talk about a three-question process. So I call it the three questions. And so here, here they are. First question is the polite question. And we all ask that of anybody, even when we go to the grocery store and and we meet the cashier and we say, you know, how are you? That's the polite question. How are you? We may we may really be genuinely interested, but most of the time it's we just ask it because that's what you do. So that's just the start. And if we stop there, we've left so much of God's activity under the rug. We want to pull that out. So the second question is the interest question. And the interest question, we need to ask them something of interest about their life. We're, we're showing our interest in that. I remember Katie. Katie was uh, the checkout gal at my neighborhood Ace Hardware store in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, so I'd go down and I'd I'd always talk to Katie and I'd, you know, ask her what's going on and what's she doing in life. And she had a son named Henry. Now she wasn't married. She was living at home at the time. Eventually got a place. Those were interest things because I was stepping into her world and asking her about her world. But then you want to go to that third question. That's the, the gold mine question. It's the concern question. So you have polite and interest and concern. And the concern question is a little bit like the Dr. Phil question, but without the negative, it's kind of, how's that working for you? The concern question is, so how are you feeling? That's really the concern. The interest question is kind of, how, what do you think? But the concern question is, how are you feeling? There was a... Um, a woman I met in Nashville, she was a waitress at the Nashville sandwich shop in Nashville. And she was a, a redhead and waiting on our table. And one of the things I, I often do when I'm with wait staff is I'll say, we're Christians here. We're going to share a prayer in just a minute. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Which is kind of for some people's it's pretty much in their face. And, and she just looked at us and her eyes got huge and she ran off. And I looked at the two, two men I was having lunch with and I said, it's all right. She'll be back. She's our waiter. <laughs> she has to come back. <laughs> and she finally did. And she didn't say anything. And uh, she came back third time. And I said, well, if there's anything you can think of. And she said, no, I can't think of anything. That's Okay. But before we we finished, she came back and she said, there is something that you could pray about. She said, my son and I are going to Ireland to visit his father. 
And she said, he used to be my husband, but it's been so long ago. I said, we're not even exes anymore, but we're, he has cancer and he's dying. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know if we should go or not. Would you pray for the, us about that? She's sharing with us some of the deepest things of her life, and we are total strangers with her. Mm-hmm. But we uncovered God in her life. And she I'm sure when she woke up that yes. morning, she did not expect to run into God, but she had a God conversation. Mm-hmm. And we need to help our people to engage in spiritual conversations. And I've just found those three questions, polite, interest, which is, you know, think, oh, your kids go to school here. What do you think about it? How is it? But then the concern, are they doing well? How are you feeling about it? That just opens up a whole new level of conversation with people. And from that point, uh, if we have opportunity, we can move into the deeper conversations where we invite them out for a cup of coffee. And you guys are great coffee people. I know that's what you like to do here. Relationships start around coffee. <laughs> invite these people out for coffee. Say, I'd love to hear more of your story. There, People are absolutely starved for someone to listen to them today. And when it comes to the deep questions of life, which are typically usually spiritual questions, they can't talk with their friends because that's who you have fun with. You, you don't want to talk with your family because your families are pits. And you can't do it at work because that's not politically correct. So where do you go? Who do you talk to to have deep spiritual conversations, but they won't go to a church to do that. So we need to engage their life with spiritual conversations. And then I'd say the other thing is we've already talked about it. It's that uh, the worship experience, did God show up? Any, Any church in any part of the life cycle They can reconnect with their neighbors. They can learn the art of spiritual conversations and they can begin to plan their worship experiences in ways so that they invite God to show up. And that will enrich and bring health into any church at any stage of its life cycle. Mm, That's all great advice. I love the three questions. I, I remember I've, I've read those in your book and I, I jotted those down. I, I, those will be used in a uh, class on sharing our faith. I, those are just so practical and they sure beat, you know, if you died tonight, would where you, would your soul be tomorrow? We did a great starter question today. Um, thank you for that, Stan. Now l- let's talk a little bit, shift gears and talk about healthy um, discipleship and spiritual formation. What, what does that look like in your mind and how do you see it contributing to the overall health of a congregation? Hey everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We wanna take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training, 
This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church organization leadership and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry leadership and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. Discipleship, obviously, if we're followers of Jesus, we're going to be disciples. I do think that there's a bit of a trap that we need to pay attention to in the discipleship concept. And what I've seen many churches who make some change in their orientation towards discipleship, and they'll tell them, well, we're going to start working on discipleship. What they're saying is, as I look at them, so I'm interpreting a lot, but what I see and what I hear them as their subtext is we are failing with our external relationships with people who aren't Jesus believers. So we're just going to dig deeper and deeper into ourselves. And it becomes a way to feel good about yourself and your mission to make people better disciples without having to connect to the world around us, which is really where I think the, the mission is pointed to. Mm. So I, I think that's a trap that we need to at least be aware of. But the idea of discipleship, you know, it's, it's a maturing. It's maturing in the lifestyle as a Jesus follower. And I, I think churches that are are doing well with discipleship, what they have is a well-defined, call it a discipleship pathway, or maybe it's a, a map. I, I really like the, the idea of a map for discipleship. I got that from Mark Batterson at National Church in Washington, D.C. Uh, but a, a pathway, it has activities for people at whatever stage of life they are as a believer of Jesus. So if someone is there as a, as, as a brand new seeker, they're not even sure they believe in any of this stuff, but they're coming to check it out. What do we have as a church that's good for them? So it's a felt needs. It's a, a life needs type thing. What do we have that gives them opportunity to rub shoulders with us in a Christian context, uh, but that it, you know, doesn't ask for a lot of commitment. I, I sometimes talk about three steps that we need to first meet people. We do their things in their places. So we go out to meet them. But that's a pathway. We're creating a pathway for them to God by going out and meeting them and developing relationships. And then we do their things in our places. 
not meaning that we're doing it in our church buildings per se, but it means we're the organizers, so we own it. But we're doing their things. So it may be a camp out, or it may be a barbecue day, or it may be just, you know, just anything, fly fishing, doesn't matter what it is, but we're doing things they're interested in, but we're organizing and we're inviting to it. And that step to invite them from to do their thing, but to do it in our place, that's a huge mental step for people to go through. And that means they're going to move from them having control of everything to us having more control of it. And so they're moving away from a, just a brand new seeker to a seeker who says, okay, I'm gonna travel along with these people for a little bit and see where it takes me. So they've moved down their discipleship pathway. And then you, you start doing our things in our places, which is we invite them to a small group, maybe a small group picnic or a small group, uh, you know, play date uh, out somewhere. Or maybe we invite them to a special sermon series at church, but it's things we do because we're Christians, we're God's people, and we're inviting them to come along with us. That's another big commitment for them down that discipleship pathway. And once they take that commitment, once they have stepped into our world doing things we do, our things in our places, what they are really doing is giving us the, the right away to step into their life and to be, I like how Daryl Tippins has called it, uh, an anamshara, a soul friend to them, a spiritual guide to them. They're giving us that opportunity. They're giving us that uh, responsibility almost by coming into those places. And so that's, that's part of that becoming a believer. That's a discipleship pathway. But then we need to be sure that we have a place where we know they can make, they can be introduced to Jesus and make a valid decision about his lordship in their life. I've used uh, the Alpha Course for that for 25 years now. But I know in 10 weeks, they're going to experience Jesus, be able to ask lots of questions with others who are asking similar type questions. And by the end of it, we're all going to come to that place of where are you now in regards to Jesus as Lord of your life. They'll be able to make a, no, I'm not there. I'm not there yet, but I'm still interested. Or I'm in, let me in, so they can make that decision. Took one of our friends, uh, Arlene. Arlene is an African-American woman. She's about 80 years old now. We met her when she was 68, as near as we could tell. She never did really tell us. She never knew Jesus in her whole life. She had never known Jesus. But God brought her through experiences in her life into the Renovatis Church, eventually into our small group in our house. And about every six months, I'd say, Arlene, how are you with Jesus? I'm okay. So are you ready to make your next step? No, I'm not ready yet. Five years into that, she, her mother had died in Las Vegas. She flew down with some Christian friends to help her with her mother's things. 
And she called my wife and she said, when I get home, I'm ready. She was baptized New Year's night. She was ready. It took her five years. Yeah. But we had a pathway. And then how do, how do we help grow people? She came <laughs> two weeks later. She came to small group with a bag from Powell's Bookstore, which is kind of a famous bookstore in, in Portland, Oregon. She bought children's Bibles books and Haley's Bible commentary and four or five others. And she says, I've got to learn what this is about now. Are these good books? Yeah, Arlene, those are great books for you. So how do we grow people? And it's in a lifestyle. And that means how do we grow them through their stages of life? Um, so as they, be, as they are Christians, how do they raise their kids? How do they make decisions about their lifestyle as they become you know, adults? And, and how do they work in the, in the world around them? How do they integrate their Christianity? What do they do when they start being empty nested? What do we do when we retire? All those are stages that we that we are maturing through as Christians, and I think a, a church that and this is interesting. My daughter and son-in-law, who planted the Missio Church in Seattle, they said last night at the at the meeting that was that they held. It was a big picnic kind of end of the beginning of the summer meeting, call it. And they said we've been thinking, how do we become a church that serves people across a lifespan? That's a big question. Yeah. And so as churches, we need to think of that. What's our pathway from a non-believer to a, a fully matured follower of Christ who is able to go through life successfully and live life well as a Jesus follower? And that's, exci that's exciting material to think through. And we're always going to be challenged with it. It's never going to be perfect. But if we're there and we can let people know, here's what we're doing and here's where this is. And so in your life, you can see, do you, can you touch this one? Are you there yet? Or maybe you need to be at this place or that place. We've given them a pathway towards uh, becoming a, a mature follower of Jesus. Pathways. I like that. Clear pathways. Th those are, th that's great, Stan. Um, want to talk a little bit about um, leadership and ministry for a few moments. You've served in various capacities in church leadership. You know it's not easy. It, it can weigh on a person, take, take its toll on uh, one's emotional and spiritual life. It can stress the family in ways uh, families are in it with uh, whoever that leader is. Many ministers and pastors are leaving the ministry uh, after about five years in, and now we're starting to see a lot of seasoned ministry leaders burning out and kind of throwing in the towel, maybe retiring early or getting out of ministry altogether early in. H how do you think we can better prepare individuals entering ministry? And then, then once they're in, how can we better serve and support uh, leaders who are feeling alone or hurting, and even our seasoned leaders? Those... Those are such challenging questions, Kevin. Um, so maybe just a few things on how do we help prepare. When I, I went through, uh, I went through Harding University, went, was a biblical languages major at Harding, and then I went to graduate school, Harding Graduate School of Religion. 
They were great experiences, fantastic. But there was a lot of knowledge and information, but I don't know how much it helped me to become a leader. And I think we need to help our, our younger ministry people understand that they are they're going to be leaders. They're not just going to be preachers or teachers, but they're going to be leaders. And how do they do that? Uh, I kind of wonder if it wouldn't be good to do graduate school in a combo pack. Uh, go to graduate school with some MBAs. Go to graduate school with some people who are going into law and some other education. Those are just three areas that I think ministers could, in the midst of their training, if they could be engaged in rubbing shoulders with people in those arenas at that mm -hmm. master's level, they, they could learn a lot about how to be a leader as a minister, and particularly to those types of people who are going to be bedrock people in their churches. So it's kind of one thing I've, I've thought about uh, mm. anyway. Well, it seems like a practical suggestion that. Yeah, mm, hope someone will do it someday and try it out. Yeah. See what it M mix it mix it up with the people they're going to be ministering among. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Boy, you know, ministers their their lifespan is getting shorter now. So many quit in their first five years. We know those of us who've been in ministry. Ministry is tough. Uh, it's mm -hmm. it's a twenty four seven job. It's not one you can go and do eight to five and come home and leave it behind you. Uh, so, you know, we have to help with the expectations. That's probably one area we can help ministers through who are experiencing those things their first time. Um, I, I have found so valuable, and I, I learned this in church planting, that ministers need to find some people, three, four, five people, who they invite to be their uh, life mentors, uh, people who will be with them through thick and thin, who, who they can go on vacation with and call up when things get tough uh, to celebrate life with. They need to be life travelers, but those life travelers are there to commit themselves to be a support unit for that minister. Mm -hmm. I have found that so incredibly helpful. I, w I wish earlier in my career I'd, I'd had, I had some good mentors who were like that, but, but to have those three to five people who were there to take care of me, I didn't have that till I was mid-career. Mm -hmm. And wow, what a blessing that has been in my life. Did you actively pursue those or did those did. just, yeah, yeah. you got to be proactive in that. Yes, I, I, I actively pursued them. And when I sat down with them, I, I told them exactly what I was looking for mm. and did that over a cup of coffee. And then Boy, they became, great. and I had them all over the country because I was traveling so much at the time. I had them yeah. literally all over the country. But every year I'd go, at least twice a year, I'd go to where they were spend time with them. Mm, good stuff. In Empty Church, you write, as preachers, elders, and leaders of God's congregations were faced with a paradigm shift, a change of perspective so far-reaching, it requires us to rethink and rebuild the way we do church. 
Um, how might we better listen to Gen Z, for example? And what, what kind of lessons can we learn from the younger generation? I'll have to be honest. I was kind of hoping, Kevin, that you wouldn't get to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to answer in a tongue-in-cheek way, but it's really the way it is. I, I'm at the end of my career. And uh, I don't know those answers, but I know the people who do. Mm. And they're the Gen Zers. And, and I think my best answer is we need to learn how to give the keys to the car to the Gen Zers. Mm. And so those of us who are older, if, if our church is still run by a gerontocracy, we need to be willing to give the keys over and at least move into the passenger seat, if not the rear seat. Oh, that, because that's they're good. going to be the ones who have the answers. Yep. Yep. That, that's a great answer to that question, Stan. We're going to end on that one. This has been a great conversation. You've, I think you've offered our listeners a whole lot of good things to be thinking about and processing as we think about healthy churches and, and churches that, aren't, or, that are stagnated. I, I'm going to correct my my language on that. We have so appreciated you being a part of our, our podcast, both number of weeks back and today. Uh, once again, we, we'd like to, before we get away, uh, will you have a little fun with us and play a lightning round? You bet. And just give us kind of your brief answers to the following quick questions that I'll fire at you. And I won't, you know, give you too many, but this, this can be fun. And it lets, lets our listeners kind of get to know you at another level. Let me start out with this. Pick your favorite decade and tell us why. It was the 1990s. We missed the 1980s. We were we were in Africa, but the 1990s, we were raising our kids. We had a ball. It was it was awesome. I got to be Mr. Mom for a couple of years and my wife was in graduate school. It, it was great. If you ask any of our kids what they remember, they'll probably say beans and weenies with the uh, with greens in them. <laughs> oh, that's, well, maybe that it was the fun. day that dad had the vacuum cleaners salesman cook supper for us. <laughs> now, boy, there's a whole lot of story there. Right? <laughs> oh, okay. Somebody gives you $500. Do you save it or do you spend it quickly? I invest it. I'm an there investor. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's some good advice. There's, there's from a lifetime of some seasoning and wisdom right there. Um, if you had a choice of career other than what has been, uh, your current one and, and others that you've had, what would it be? <sighs> a business leader. Very good. You got an entrepreneurial spirit. It's shown in your church planting side and missionary side. So doing that in the business side, um, name an innovator, change maker, or peacemaker you have great respect for. Hmm. Yeah, the, the two I put down, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. I, I like reading biographies and, you know, those two guys were nation builders. Yeah. All right. Favorite sports personality? Steph Curry. Oh, there you go. Good outside shooter. Yep. Believer. One more. What are a few of your all-time favorite movies? Oh yeah, I, lo I love this. Quigley Down Under. Oh, that's a Tom classic. Selleck. Yeah, that's Top a Top Gun. Mm, Got to get Maverick yes. in there. 
A lot of good San Diego in that movie. Yep. And Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, there you go. That's a good yeah. list. Yep. Good list. Well, Stan, it has really been a delight to be with you and to have you back on the podcast. And I want to remind our listeners, um, Stan's book is uh, Empty Church. And let me let me get the whole title here, Why People Don't Come and What to Do About It. It is a great read as far as just, it's awakening, it's informative, uh, it, it inspires hope by giving some uh, some great options of renewal and rejuvenation, uh, and it really fits with our theme of healthy churches. Stan, do you have anything else you'd like to share before we get away? I would just camp out on that hopefulness. We, we've got some amazing time ahead of us, and uh, I think God has prepared the church to do well and to thrive. I love that. I love the theme of hope. We have a, a great God who's never fixed or, or stuck in a certain era. Amen. Uh, there's always adventure ahead in the kingdom of God. Well, folks, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Our series on healthy churches is going to continue next week. Hey, please uh, like this podcast wherever you listen to it. Tell your friends about it. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, please consider supporting the ministry by subscribing to our Patreon channel and access some of the additional conversations, videos, essays, special events, and much, much more. Uh, We'll be back next week with some more good conversation. Look forward to being with you. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.